0: Topic 19 Second Paper of 20th Century Negro Literature. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Phyllis Vincelli. 20th Century Negro Literature. Topic 19 Second Paper by Professor R. G. Robinson, B. L. THE NEGRO AS A LABORER Professor R. G. Robinson, B. L., the subject of our sketch, was born in Hamilton, Bermuda Islands, B. W. I., February 16, 1873 in pursuit of education he came to the united states at the early age of eleven going directly to new hampshire in the fall of eighty five he entered dow academy in franconia new hampshire by economy and thrift he maintained himself in this institution for eight years graduating in eighteen ninety three second in his class during this course he was several times elected president of the autonomation literary society his conduct and standing was very tersely stated by one of his professors when he said that he was courteous and obliging under all circumstances clear and logical in his deductions and conscientious as a christian he immediately entered dartmouth college in the class of ninety seven During his college course he was prominent in athletics, at the same time holding a good position in his class. Despite the fact he was one of the two colored men in a class of 128, yet at the close of freshman year he was unanimously elected class auditor for the ensuing year. He was a charter member of the Ruskin Society a society for the cultivation of the histrionic art in dartmouth college in eighteen ninety seven dartmouth gave him the degree of bachelor of letters says president tucker of dartmouth he is a man of clear and earnest purpose possessing tact and good executive ability after graduation he was elected to the chair of english language and literature in the tuskegee institute but resigned at the close of the year and was elected principal of one of the city schools of montgomery alabama which position he held until elected by the Freedmen's aid and southern educational society as principal of the lagrange academy lagrange georgia In 1899, he was married to Lily Bell, the daughter of William Hill, the wealthy truck gardener of Montgomery. Mrs. Robinson is a graduate of the A&M College at Normal, Alabama. They have a son, Mason Francis. Professor Robinson has a brother who is a member of the Boston Bar. He graduated from Dow Academy in Franconia, New Hampshire, in 1893, attended Oberlin College, and received the degree of LLB from Boston University. In 1898, he was a member of the Boston Common Council. So artful is nature, THAT SHE DOES NOT PERMIT MAN TO BREAK ONE OF HER LAWS FOR HIS PLEASURE WITHOUT A SACRIFICE ON HIS PART, THAT FOR EVERY ACTION THERE IS A CORRESPONDING REACTION, AND SO THE LAWS OF COMPENSATION HOLD GOOD IN THE DEALINGS OF MAN WITH MAN, RACES WITH RACES, AND NATIONS WITH NATIONS. SLAVERY, AS ignominious AS IT WAS, HAD A DUAL EFFECT. The master race, forming what might be termed a landed aristocracy, looked upon manual labor as degrading, while it of necessity became the natural sphere of the weaker. Thus the spirit of work became engrafted into the very being of the Negro. This is the path all races have trod. The basis of the South's industrial system was Negro labor and although the emancipation proclamation changed the whole structure from a base of slave labor to that of free labor nevertheless the negro remained virtually in the same position but with enlarged opportunities this was a legacy greater than the ballot for it is vastly more important to a man to be able to earn an honest living than to be privileged to cast a ballot and doubly so if the element of doubt as to its being counted enters into the privilege. It was a cruel change from that of an irresponsible creature to that of a man clothed with the responsibility of self-support and of American citizenship, a change that would have staggered any race, but the Negro has acted nobly his part. To say that the Negro is a valuable citizen and a necessity in the development of the South is to put it mildly. It can best be appreciated when we remember that since the war the Negro has earned seventy five billions of dollars, and out of this vast amount he has saved the pitiful sum of five hundred millions, thus contributing to the wealth of the South seventy four billions and a half of dollars it is estimated that four-fifths of the labor done in the south is done by the negro the theory advanced by those who claim themselves to be immunes from that dreaded disease of negro phobia is that the industrial education of the negro will inevitably inspire a similar movement for the industrial training of the poor whites and the resultant competition means a further complication of the race problem, which will only be solved by the ultimate separation of the races. This theory is as unique as it is original, and bids fair to revolutionize the laws of economics. But to the contrary, the laws of trade and labor are as imperious as all the enactments of necessity." The South is fast regaining her lost treasures, and bids fair to become not only an agricultural section, but with her wonderful oil and mineral resources, to be the rival of the North. Coupled with her wonderful resources is the free Negro labor, which is the cheapest in the world, outside of Asia, and will not only be in demand, but will ultimately enter into all industries, Driving all before it. It is a certainty that capital will inevitably seek and secure the cheapest labor. Besides cheapness, other qualifications have made, and will continue to make, him indispensable to the South's development and make him far superior to the foreign element for which a few seem to clamor. Coming out of slavery, ignorant, irresponsible, no name no home, no mule, there is no better way to measure the influence of Christian education than by the increased ability to earn, to save, and to wisely invest money. The spirit of home-getting and the eagerness for education are very hopeful signs. We proudly quote from a lengthy editorial in a recent issue of the Atlanta Constitution. the building up of wealth follows a sharpening of intellect if the untutored colored man of the past quarter of a century could amass nearly a half a billion of dollars why may not the educated negro during the next quarter of a century quadruple the amount as a skilled laborer it will take time for the race to make a mark because here he will meet with sharper competition This is the opportunity of the industrial school. The lack of sufficient numbers of skilled colored mechanics, and because of the existence of prejudice, the employer shows timidity in attempting to supplant white labor with Negro labor. This fear will decrease as the supply increases. We endorse industrial training for the masses, but as efficient as it is, it is not sufficient. The tendencies of these schools is to make the training of the hand of primary importance and that of the brain secondary. This might suffice for a while, but in this age of progress, of invention, when the genius of the age seems to have directed all its power to the invention of labor-saving machines, the demand for brainy mechanics is increasing so rapidly that the industrial school of today will wake up tomorrow only to find itself behind the times the northern section of our country with its large manufacturing interests and the constant demand for skilled labor has encouraged the combining of labor into trades unions as a means of protection against the encroachments of capital because of the social side of these organizations the negro has been debarred with some exceptions the unions will operate against him just as long as the interests of the unions are not in jeopardy and the supply of skilled colored mechanics is insufficient but in the south where negro labor is plenty and agriculture is the chief occupation, the Negro will always have a practical monopoly, and his opportunities in all the trades in the North, as well as in the South, will increase in proportion as he becomes an educated, thrifty, law-abiding landowner. The time has come when the Negro can no longer afford to play upon the sympathies of his friends. But as a man among men he must be preeminently fitted for his place fitted in intellect in the knowledge of his craft and in sobriety as a common laborer the negro in his ignorance has had to battle against great odds too often his employer who built the courts run them and owns them but who made the negro shoulder the expense feeling that he has the right of way and in his eagerness to get something for nothing, has forced the negro through necessity to do the very thing for which he condemns him. Despite these great odds, industry and uprightness in any man, be he white or black, makes him a valuable member of any community. End of Topic 19 Second Paper